0: Good morning, good morning. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Ah, if you haven't joined us before on a Sunday morning, boy, are you in for a surprise this morning. You've joined a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their decision-making and consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found more sustainable, loving and heartfelt ways to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Now, today's show is probably the foundation of that, that way of being, that way of considering, that way of thinking. It's on esoteric medicine. Now, you may ask, is that alternative to medicine? Well, I read a blog a while ago by my next guest that shared a quote from a Swiss physician, alchemist and astrologer of the German Renaissance called Paracelsus. The foundation of medicine is love. Yes, I hear the tumbleweed moment. As you can imagine, for anyone who has ever listened to this show, that is speaking my language. Love is um, very practical. It is not namby-pamby. It, is, it has discipline to it. It has responsibility and accountability and fun with a capital F. It is not all navel-gazing and serious. So, then when you consider the world of medicine, how can those, how can. How can love and medicine and esoteric, where do they all come together? Well, I think something's gone amiss when our appointments with our GPs are 10 minutes and we walk in with a body that is multi-complicated with all sorts of different um, symptoms, multi-symptomatic. And then we expect within those 10 minutes to have an answer and to walk out feeling that like we have been heard, we've been understood, everything has been considered from this doctor who literally has back-to-back patients from the start to the end of their day. No wonder doctors are feeling overwhelmed. No wonder they're feeling burnt out and um, fed up and uh, that the, the suicide rate for doctors is so high. So then we bring in the word esoteric, which has come to mean secretive, privileged, known by a few. Well, is that right? Or could it be a very practical way of living that is actually very familiar to us, but it does ask us to be responsible and accountable for our behaviour on a very fine level and that we may find that a challenge. Therefore, those who... um, Uh, a very long time ago decided that the esoteric was a challenge, decided to plant seeds of doubt and um, seeds to make it complicated or to make it perceive it that way. Pythagorean times, this was their normal, but it's been reinterpreted so many times that I felt it was time to have a practical discussion about how esoteric sits within the medicine of our own lives when this show is primarily about being the change you want to see in your life. That means being the medicine that you would like to see in your life. Now, the person that I asked to talk me through esoteric medicine is a powerhouse of a woman called Eunice Minford, a consultant general surgeon on the front line of the National Health Service who hails from Northern Ireland and went through a vigorous training process herself As she'll tell you, she worked in many countries. She trained in many countries. She's seen many different health systems. But hey, no one can share their story better than the person themselves. So may I welcome Eunice Midford to stay in the loop with Lucy. It is lovely to have you with us um, for the show today. I'm I'm really intrigued to hear, perhaps to start off with a little bit about your early life and your early training.
1: Sure, and just uh, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to uh, share uh, part of that story with you. Um, So I initially trained in medicine at Aberdeen University in Scotland, and it was always within me, in that sense, to be a surgeon. I always had that desire um, from I suppose my teenage years, I had the thought, oh, I I fancy doing surgery as a career, but I I kind of kept quiet about it. But when I was doing my medical student training, I'd often go into theatre or go to accident-emergency, do extra things um, over and above what I was expected to do in order to get ahead of the game, as it were, in in surgery. And I did my basic surgical training in Aberdeen, and then... um, I moved to Newcastle upon Tyne and I did uh, my registrar training there and I began to specialise in transplant surgery and compatibility surgery. And I then did an extra year in the transplant unit at Birmingham. And uh, following that, i that was really the completion of my training as it were. And I did a, a locum consultant a surgeon job in London and that was in general and vascular and trauma surgery and that was whilst I was waiting to get a visa clearance uh, for a fellowship post at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York uh, to work in the transplant unit there in multi-organ uh, transplant unit so that was doing pancreas, liver, kidney and small bowel transplants. Um. Now that was, that, sorry, then after that, that was really the sort of the a completion part. And after that, I then came back to Northern Ireland and I took up my current post as consultant general surgeon in 2004. So there was a bit of a change there, as you may detect, from where I was doing and training in transplant surgery to then uh working in Northern Ireland as a as a general surgeon. And I have to say that during my training, uh although I was born and brought up in Northern Ireland, it was never on my radar as a place where I wanted to come and work. And so it's funny how life's little twist and turns yeah. can end up end up with me being back at home as it were, but yet at the same time that was never part of my so called plan. Uh, so
0: yes, for all the glamorous um, places you went to, <laughs> the beautiful Northern <laughs> Ireland pulled you home. Well, indeed, and uh,
1: no one would be more surprised than me at how that happened, really. Um, and yeah, so there was definitely a few twists and turns there that uh, culminated in that. And um, but I suppose. Um, there was a key stage in all of that where I reached a point at the end of my training around the time when I was in Birmingham and London going to New York supposedly to be um, acquiring extra skills in, in living organ liver donation, liver transplantation and to advance my skills in that direction but at the same time within me there was there was a, a deep discontent and dis ease going on, um, fueled really by the question that was sort of whispering in the background, which was that there had to be something more to life than this.
0: Mm.
1: And so I was beginning to question my career and having been someone who had been highly committed and dedicated to surgery. As I said, like even as a medical student, I was trying to get ahead of the game and doing extra things to advance my skills at an early stage Um, and having been fully immersed in that field and enjoying it and loving it and it was my raison d'etre as it were to be a surgeon. To then find myself in a place where I was considering giving all of that up and no thinking that I no longer wanted to do this was very difficult because on one level it just didn't make sense. Like why would I do all this long training and hard work and love the job and all of that as I I thought I did But um, and then come to a place where I was going to throw it all in. And it wasn't as if I didn't have... It wasn't as if I had this unfulfilled dream of... Being something else that I thought oh actually I, you know some people go into medicine and realise it's not what they actually wanted to do and they always wanted to be a writer, or a singer, or an artist or whatever and they go off and do that I didn't have that unfulfilled dream my dream was being a surgeon Um. so yeah that was a difficult time in terms of trying to work out what was going on and what was the, the deeper questions behind all of that
0: And you're not alone, are you? Because, I mean, for you, there wasn't the giving up by the sounds of things or the the desperation that there have been in other doctors. When we look at the suicide rates and the the rates of um, ill mental health in in the medical profession now, it's become a, a major concern.
1: Well, absolutely I, I never got to the point of being suicidal that's true but i mean the rates of burnout are affecting one in two doctors one in um, two
0: wow yeah
1: one one and two of certain brackets that yeah. i read anyway yeah of gp yeah surgeons are being affected by by burnout and so i definitely that was definitely part of what was going on for me i wouldn't say it was the whole story no but there was there was definitely a significant element of that of having kind of given so much of myself over so many years and really, I suppose done what was asked of us in terms of you know the GMC in the u k say that we must um put our patients first, and that's what being a good doctor is. But if you could what I was doing and was continually putting patients first and myself last and over time that takes its toll and i mean there was more to it than that as well and i uh, was someone who both worked hard and played hard you know that that was the, i suppose the approach that a lot of us had in in medicine at that time was you would do lots of um work and study but then you would go out and party and and have a so called good time as well to relieve the stress and the tension and pressure of the job Yeah. so just to come back to your point of, I mean there is a high rate of suicide amongst the medical profession and burnout and mental ill health and that is really an indictment on the profession because it doesn't make sense uh, on a certain level where if you take people who are generally deemed to be quite intelligent in order to get into medicine, you have to have good grades and um, in terms of how we assess intelligence today. Um, and you teach them about the human body and about illness and disease and health and well-being. And yet, despite having that intelligence, despite having that training and, and knowing intimately about the human body, and. Uh, they end up in a way, seemingly becoming worse off than those they are actually being trained to care for.
0: And this, I just see so many similarities between what you're saying and parenting, where parents are told to put their children first, so that the people who are who are in the more supposedly more wise role, um, the one with the most intelligence, is actually um doing a lot of harm to themselves so that they potentially are not in a position to help anyone at all, which is highly unintelligent.
1: Absolutely. And this is one of the I suppose key myths that needs to be busted. Um I'm not a parent, so I'm probably best sticking to the medical side of things. Um but I can totally relate to what you're saying and in, uh into term- agree with what you're saying Mm. in terms of how we see that playing out in parenting as well Mm. but um, certainly from the medical side of things this um, idea that we must put our patients first is flawed Yes, Uh, because we first of all need to look after ourselves we need to have a, a level of self care in terms of looking after our bodies and, and uh, with food, hydration, sleep, basic things of daily life, but which we learn in, through medical training to override and neglect. So mm. we end up exhausted, eating on the go, uh, perhaps using things that aren't that healthy to help us cope, like alcohol, et cetera, mm. um, not getting enough exercise, eating junk food, etc., etc. So we end up depleted and drained and demotivated and we don't have uh, anything left to give ultimately because we're, we're so uh, neglectful of ourselves. Whereas if we actually began to care for ourselves deeply, first of all, then obviously that builds a level of care within ourselves, within our bodies that we can then give to others. I sometimes liken it to, you know, I can't give you your Christmas present if I don't have a Christmas present to give you. Yeah. Whereas, you know, so I can't give you high-quality care if I'm not living that high-quality care for myself. And and actually, studies are showing this as well, that doctors who look after themselves and take care of themselves are better able to inspire their patients to do likewise. Yeah. So it's not a win for the doctor but it's also a win for the patients and humanity as a whole that um, doctors self-caring doctors can then inspire their patients to be self-caring and hopefully then reduce the burden of, of, of disease on
0: a, on a bigger scale. I'm talking today to Eunice Minford who is talking about Um, taking care of ourselves, and as a doctor, what it means to inspire their patients to do likewise. Having been a transplant surgeon and an incredibly successful doctor, Eunice still had coping mechanisms where she was telling other people to do things that she knew were good for them but couldn't actually put into practice herself. And she saw the irony of the way she was living and the potential impact on her practice. And when we look at um, the influence of lifestyle factors, if a doctor is indulging in a lot of those lifestyle factors, might potentially have a, a higher than um, a higher BMI themselves, have a larger shape than themselves, they are unlikely to see there's anything wrong with that in a in a patient but for that patient that actually might be the thing that they really need to address to address the ill the dis-ease in their bodies
1: yes absolutely and of course there's a lot more goes on in any exchange than just the words and for a doctor to give advice obviously that advice is going to come with more authenticity and integrity if they're actually living that for themselves. Mm. So for Mm. example, like I used to drink alcohol a lot, and, but if I was advising someone who um, with end stage liver disease or with advanced liver disease to stop drinking, what quality is that gonna come with when I'm out doing the very same thing myself? You know, it's not going to have any impact because it's not coming from a body that knows the benefit of not drinking. Whereas today, I haven't been drinking alcohol since 2003. So today, my body knows exactly what it's like to live without alcohol as well as with alcohol. So if I was to advise someone today not to drink alcohol, it's coming with that integrity and with that authenticity of a body that knows uh, the benefits of living without alcohol.
0: Yes, it just sounds like there's a bigger holding of the person to say it's possible and it's fun and it's um, – you because you're living it, it doesn't sound like a, a, dic- a dictatorial, this is what you need to do and not a judgment. It's just saying, hey, look, there's, there's, this, there's this other way and it's perfectly, perfectly great.
1: Absolutely, but it's not even – as I said, it doesn't even have to come by the words. I think there's a lot more that goes on through our presence, through our reflection, through the way we are, the way we look, the way we move, behave. Every, everything. There's so much more is transmitted in that exchange between a doctor and a patient. And of course, there's definitely never any judgment or um, imposing on to another. But that simple. If the words were needed in terms of giving that advice for someone who had a particular condition that was related to alcohol or someone who was just interested in living a healthy life then obviously it's going to um, any sharing with that as i say is going to come with that authenticity and joy and, and knowing of the benefits of of living with without
0: alcohol my sense is that as a a patient. I'm not a doctor myself, so I can only say that as a patient, the body that I take to the doctor can be either responsible or irresponsible, and it must be very difficult. I would imagine if I go to the doctor and just present myself and say, "Right, I'm not going to change anything. I just want you to fix me so I can go back out there and carry on." Um, there's there's a there's an irresponsibility in that body that would potentially be um, disrespecting the training and the work and the commitment that the doctors made to um, his Hippocratic oath
1: well that's a a very important point and it's it's, there's a lot to unpack in that as well because um, like I myself could look back on how I lived my life and I was irresponsible, in the way that you're talking about, with my lifestyle choices. I, as I've already said, I drank alcohol a bit too much. I ate junk food, I was overweight, I didn't exercise enough. I had all the bad habits that we could list in terms of how not to live a healthy lifestyle, and yet I was a doctor. Supposedly, having the training and intelligence to know better, and did know better, but yet did not live that lifestyle myself. Thankfully, today that has changed and I now do live a healthy lifestyle, so I no longer have all those bad habits that I just listed to you. And of course, if uh, someone is living in that way, when they come to, uh, say, my practice of, of surgery and needing an operation, what sometimes is overlooked and forgotten then is the impact that that lifestyle is going to have whenever they come to the operating table, hmm. and the effect that that could have on their risk of post-operative complications, etc.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and this is some, a subject which hasn't been fully explored or or delved into. But obviously, someone who's living more healthily, more responsibly, is bringing a body that is going to be more able to cope with the stresses and strains of surgery as opposed to someone whose body is being depleted and drained or poisoned if you like by the various harming effects of tobacco alcohol junk food etc etc it's it's going to be a less resilient body in that sense to cope with the stresses and strains of surgery so of course living in an irresponsible way uh, being having an unhealthy lifestyle is definitely putting pressure on the medical system and uh, increasing the burden, if you like, of illness and disease. And we can see that is happening globally. Uh, and there is this kind of arrogance, if you like, where people where we contend to think and and i did it myself so again there's absolutely no judgment that well i can live however i like you know it's my choice it's my free will it's my body doesn't matter what what other people think or say and um if something breaks down i can just go along to the doctor or the hospital and get it fixed Bit like you know if our car breaks down we can take it along to the mechanic and and get the bits and pieces fixed or replaced, et cetera. But that um, is, as you say, an irresponsible way to live because it doesn't just impact the individual person, it impacts all the people around that person, their family, it impacts the healthcare system. Then you go into the cost of all of that and the finances and, and actually the ramifications of it are huge. And we're seeing that play out in the world today with high levels of, of illness and disease and, and health services almost facing bankruptcy. From entirely preventable diseases. Well, indeed. and But I think, again, there's a bigger point to make as well, which is we need to understand why that is happening. Like, Because, as I said, using my own example, I, too, was there. I to live that way despite knowing all that I did through my medical training. So we have to begin to question, why is that? Why would someone who has that intelligence, who knows about the body, who understands what makes us healthy, what makes us ill, live in a way that is actually engendering illness and disease? Like on a certain level, as I said, it just doesn't make sense so there's been something missing in our understanding of the human being in terms of what is driving these ill behaviors and that's what needs to be explored more deeply so it's not just that and again when it comes to advising people it's not just about advising people to stop drinking or stop smoking or stop eating junk food like everyone knows in themselves that those things are unhealthy they already know that and um, but It's understanding why am I needing the alcohol? Why am I smoking the cigarettes? Why am I eating all this junk food? You know, that's what we need to dig deeper into.
0: I'm talking today with Eunice Minford, who has been telling us about her path to being a transplant surgeon and general surgeon, consultant general surgeon, no less. And to come to consider how she lives as a woman, a doctor, a surgeon, and the impact that all of this has on her work, her colleagues, and her patients. Now, this is not the way doctors are conventionally trained. And we have to, re- that, that's really important. She's speaking above and beyond what her regular training would have given her. But thank goodness she is, because when we have statistics of overwhelm and burnout in the medical profession, particularly in doctors, the ones that we go to for all our help medically, the ones we think should be, should be able to put us back together when the doctors themselves are struggling, then we have to ask if their training is supporting them and if we're really asking the right questions. Now, in the news just now, it came out that there is no safe level of alcohol. I feel that this is Groundhog Day with cigarettes. We always, you know, everyone always said, no, 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 it's fine. It helps relax you. There is no safe level. And we have to actually start contemplating whether there is even the possibility that that is true and not go from research, but go from our own bodies. How do we feel? If we still need it, go for it. Don't stop. But if you you actually want to feel another level, give it a go. We've got absolutely nothing else to lose and we've got everything to gain. The way our health is at the moment is calling out for us to actually step up and step into our own lives. Now, this next part, really, we've got to look at um, the impact that we have and what we're eating and whether or not we can be that change that we want to see in our lives. And that's the bit that takes us into that innermost bit, the the part inside where you feel that ill at ease, that tension. And this is where I've read the most amazing blog that you've written about esoteric medicine and how the esoteric becomes part of it. Could you explain that word esoteric to us? Absolutely. So...
1: Esoteric, if you look it up in the dictionary, you'll get all kinds of definitions, and it usually means something exclusive, or secretive, or hidden, and it doesn't mean that. It actually comes from the Greek word esoterikos, which means from within, or another um, interpretation is one's innermost. And the word medicine itself comes from the Latin, ars medicina, which means the art of healing. So put those two words together, you get esoteric medicine. That means the art of healing from within. So it's understanding and knowing that we have an innermost. We have that deepest aspect of our being, if you like. And understanding that that deepest aspect of our being is love. So therefore, esoteric medicine is about the art of healing from within, by reconnecting to that innermost part, to the essence of love that is within every single human being, irrespective of their story, irrespective of any hurts, traumas, torture, abuse, illness or disease, or any condition whatsoever, that essence of love remains unperturbed, undisturbed, unaffected, unharmed, and if we can connect with that essence of love and begin to have that as the foundation of who we are, to know that we're not all the misbeliefs and, and false beliefs that we think we are, which are usually some form of not being good enough, not being worthy, being bad, or not being lovable, all kinds of, of Beliefs that are simply not true. If we replace that with the actual truth and the foundation of who we are, which is that we are love, and and then begin to make choices that are consistent with that love, then that transforms everything. And I, I that isn't just a theory or a philosophy, um, or a belief. It it has. I have lived that myself, so I know the truth of it. And in a way, that was what was instrumental in me being able to turn my own life around and my own health and well-being around was coming to that understanding initially, because it was initially just an understanding or a, a concept that I could agree with on an intellectual level. But the more that I began to put it into practice and actually live it, then it became an absolute known. It became a truth for me. It became something that I knew absolutely 100% was true. And as I said, that then is a game changer that can transform everything. It can transform how you see yourself, how you then make choices, how you live your life, how you express what you decide to put into your body in every way shape and form whether that's from food thoughts emotions etc etc mm. so mm. It's, it's potentially huge
0: and yet it's quite simple in a way to understand as well absolutely it sounds very much that if you have that relationship with you with you and um, and deepen that relationship with you it turns into movements that are about quality in your life and in your movements, which would feed the quality of life that we so champion as as um, as something that we all want.
1: Yes, I mean, who would not want to have more love, more joy, more well-being, more vitality, more energy in their life? I mean, we only have to look at the the multiplying coffee shops in the world to know that people are exhausted and needing huge amounts of caffeine and sugar and stimulation all of that to just get up in the morning and go to work Mm. but if we were to actually come back as I say to that the foundation of who we are the truth of who we are which is love and begin as you say to make those movements that are consistent with that quality with that essence then we begin to The different choices, things like going to bed earlier because we, we, first of all, because we are usually exhausted at that point, um, but also because that's part of uh, realizing that we are not just these little isolated bodies uh, floating around planet Earth, as it were. We are deeply interconnected with all of life and the universe as a whole. So we are not, we... In that way, we are connected to the various cycles and rhythms and and all of the universe as well. And in that, um, there is a a cycle that is more beneficial for us when it comes to how to live each day in terms of rest and sleep and times of activity and and movement and and that going to bed early, getting up early is actually a very good thing to do, very beneficial thing to do Uh, and it's been if we think about it as well from the point of view even in the evolution of mankind that we've only had electricity in very recent times if you take into perspective the the length of time we've been around and so traditionally mankind did go to bed when it got dark and got up at at dawn and, and things like that so our body has that cycle has that rhythm natural clock if you like within it that um, one of the most supportive things that we can do for ourselves is to get good quality sleep because from that, that will also then impact our our dietary choices, um, our moods and has many ramifications in terms of our health and well-being and this is now also being supported
0: in, in research and science as well. It's so logical, isn't it, because you you've been talking right at the beginning about about the body that we take to our surgery or the body we take to the doctor and, um, in fact, just staying with the surgery, the body that you take into a surgery, you may be sick, but if you can make it as fit as possible and sleep as much as possible before that surgery, you give yourself the best possible chance of of ever um, a fast recovery afterwards. And that's all about listening to your body before and laying a foundation that you then can come back to. So it's so much about what's going on with you in your, with your relationship with yourself.
1: Absolutely. And I think you've struck on another, another important point there to bring out is about listening to your body. Because most of us don't, and I certainly didn't. Mm-hmm. We, we override our bodies. And, you know, to put it in a very simple example, If we were to listen to your bodies, we would only need one hangover to know that alcohol was harming. Hmm. We wouldn't need buckets of research and and all of that to prove it because everyone with a hangover can tell. You've got a sore head, you feel rubbish, thirsty, etc., etc. All the, the symptoms that we get with a hangover, that in itself tells us that we've put something into our body that has harmed it. And obviously, the more we begin to listen to our body, the more refined that can get, so that we we become more aware of, on a more subtle level, of the impact of food, for example, on our body. Now, for example, when I um, first began to understand about this, I was initially poo-pooing it. I said, I was like, oh, this is a bit too... Precious, you know, I've been eating this and drinking that for many years and I'm doing okay kind of thing. Mm. But that's coming with complete arrogance and ignorance, actually, about um, just how our bodies are actually very, very sensitive and do get affected by everything that we do to them, with them, and everything that we put into them. And as I have then gone on that journey and refined my diet and cut out certain things, it has, it, it, it has become that lived truth, if you like, that I am now also more aware of how different foods affect me, uh, just using food as an example. So the, we don't realize just, in fact, how sensitive our bodies are and how much we are bludgeoning them on a daily basis by how we what we do to them and how we move them and how we live With them, so for me, it has been a very enriching and exciting, uh, uh, in a in a good way, journey to discover that there's actually so much more to our body and to understanding it, and uh, to realise that that relationship that we have with our body is absolutely vital and fundamental to developing a, a healthy relationship. And making choices that can then engender more health vitality well-being as opposed to those that will engender illness and disease for example
0: and as a reflection back to you I thank you for having that relationship with your body because it is very clear that you are a better surgeon for your patients because you have an awareness of The relationship with your body what you're bringing to your work is so much more vital and alive and perhaps more patient and kinder and more understanding because of the way you've looked after yourself because of the relationship you've had with your body
1: well absolutely because in the past i was perhaps your typical in many ways stereotypical female surgeon Um, I could be abrupt, I could be demanding, rude, aggressive, um, all those kind of traits that you can perhaps get portrayed in movies or television shows about the the, uh, female surgeon. And I, through this journey and relationship with myself and the body, have come to a deeper understanding of why I was that way and have been able to resolve that. So that, yes, I am much more patient, much more centered, much more calm, much less prone to frustration or getting triggered by events that happen in the NHS, which is quite a task. <laughs> I'm not perfect by any means, so um, now I can still get the odd button press, but nowhere near like what it, what it used to be. And of course, that has an impact on my team on the people that work with me how i am with them and then of course with the patient as well and so it has again in the past i was someone who just thought well that's the way i'm made and if people don't like it they can lump it and i wasn't made to be calm and i wasn't made to uh, be you know gentle and easygoing and all that kind of thing but i now know that's absolute rubbish i uh, there were reasons why I was the way I was, and um, I've been able to resolve that and heal that within myself so that now I can be that calm person uh, who's relaxed, easygoing, centered, uh, predominantly joyful. Um, and so it has completely, it is possible to completely change and transform. And therefore, I don't agree with people who just say, oh, it's their personality or it's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. that's just the way they are. And we just have to accept it. That's
0: it's such I a think. cop out, isn't it? It's such a cop out, You So I remember someone saying, oh, look, I've got a temper. It's like, well, why are you proud of that? Do something about it. It's, it's like saying, oh, look, you know, I'm, I work in domestic violence quite a lot. And it, it, it's it's so easy to say oh, look, I've just got a bad temper or can't help myself. Well, we can. We've just got to understand why Why we get to the point where we have an explosion. You know, waiting for that explosion is just an abdication of personal responsibility.
1: It is. And at the same time, having been there, I also know that at that time, I didn't have the conscious awareness of what was going on and what was affecting me at that time or I, I was in deep denial of it mm. equally, and I think it, you know, it took me to kind of be brought to my knees almost to begin to to be able to look at that and to question that and to um, be willing to go there to expose what was underneath all of that ill behaviour, and which ultimately was a lot of hurt and. There was shame, and there was all kinds of things in there that um, needed to be brought out into the air. And in doing so, that was a, a great part of the healing, and that was able to dissolve and melt um, those emotions and reactions and things like that. So, I think it's it's I it's important not to be thinking that we're blaming people for. Things, but just to bring that understanding of there's more going on. And if there is any discontent or dis-ease or um, emo- you know, strong emotional reactions to things, then there's a reason. And yeah. if someone's willing to look at that and to dig a bit deeper, then by all means it can be resolved,
0: it can be healed illness and disease can be a great opportunity for healing on many levels, not just the surface um, function and dysfunction.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's something which for me was absolutely, again, transformational in my understanding of, of illness and disease and medicine and healing as a whole. Because generally, coming up through the medical training that I had, we see obviously a lot of suffering through illness and disease, and it is considered as something bad, as something obviously to try and be gotten rid of, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, by beginning to see it through a different lens, if you like, by beginning to understand that illness and disease can actually be very instrumental and part of our healing. It completely changed the whole way to understand illness and disease and healing. And I suppose in this as well it's important to understand that healing isn't just talking about healing of symptoms or wound healing or bone healing as it tends to be restricted to within medicine. But it's actually going back to the root of what that word means in itself, which is about wholeness and health and even holiness in that sense. And it's true healing is then about restoring us back to our true wholeness and harmony and health. And in order to do that, we need to stop making the choices that are taking us away from that. Because that wholeness is always there. It, yeah. It's not like we have to go and build it up and, and and acquire it from the outside. It's actually already within us. But we're the ones that then make the choices to not be aware of it, to, um, to bury it, if you like, or to cover it up with all yeah. kinds of other issues, etc., etc. So we don't even realize that we have this wholeness or this essence that is... Um, untouched by all of these things
0: Hmm.
1: and then we have if we were able to see that illness and disease is the body's way of like giving us a message to say hey what are you doing to me what have you how are you living how are you moving with me what choices are you making with me that have led us to this to this point now where i have a an illness uh, or a, a disease and that then is very empowering for the individual because It's then saying, well, if how I have lived has led me to where I am today, to have this condition, then it's actually within my gift, it's within my power to be able to change that, to be able to make different choices, and to be able to, if you like, come back to that wholeness, to restore back to to that wholeness by coming to a deeper understanding of exactly why I have that illness and disease. Being able to get to the root cause of it, not just the um, understanding it on a on a superficial level. Stunning. What potential? Yeah, and I I suppose it's um, there's even (laughs) it's such a big subject, and there's there's so much more even to unpack within that in terms of. because it actually can be not just understanding that illness and disease can be healing, but actually that all of life can be healing, all of life is medicine in that sense, because everything is in a way trying to get us to waken up to the fact that there is this wholeness, that there is this essence of love within us. Um, And it's understanding that it's our deviation away from that. It's our way of living that is not consistent with that, which is actually the root root cause, if you like, of our ills and our suffering. So anything that is being able to bring us to a stop, to be able to look at, and quite often, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't have to be this way, but quite often, that is through a tragedy, through an illness, a disease, a condition, a suffering of some kind, that we get brought to our knees to actually be able to be humble enough, I suppose, to begin to question and look at, okay, why is this happening to me? Why do parents have this condition? And that is one of the questions that, uh, you know, the why question, Mm. that medicine has not been very good at, at answering, but which esoteric medicine? Can answer and can bring in those deeper dimensions of our being to be able to provide a more holistic response um, and understanding in terms of, of why we have what we have and then how we can heal from it as well.
0: Because, of course, when we understand the why, we can make a more Uh, conscious choice not to repeat the pattern and it might take different movements it might take different um uh, choices but it brings us it, it you we actually need to physically get on board with with changing once we understand otherwise we just recreate the same situation over again as as I've experienced when I've had back pain I've become incredibly tender and gentle with myself and then as I've got my my activity back and I've got my function back I've slowly gone straight back into how I behaved before whereas when I sat back and went okay why am I going at that pace and understanding my needs through that pace I actually didn't recreate the back pain because I slowed my entire life down not you know does that make sense
1: yes absolutely and i suppose fundamentally the why question is about giving meaning Mm. and if we have a meaning if we can understand why something has happened it's much easier for us to accept it Mm. whereas like i was reading an article recently which was just talking about um cancer and um I think it was specifically breast cancer it was talking about, and there was this argument going on about whether it was related to lifestyle choices or is it just bad luck? And the thing about bad luck is it just leaves you completely disempowered. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you can, isn't there nothing that you can do yourself to help yourself um, because this is just seen then as some random event that the universe has put upon you. And... Um, that there's nothing that you can personally do to help yourself heal or understand it or come to uh, yeah, a deeper understanding of why it might have happened and then being able to make changes. Whereas if you take the uh, the alternative possibility, which is that it has been due to not just lifestyle choices, because it is more than that it's our every way of being and moving and understanding ourselves and that inner deeper relationship with ourselves do we truly value and nurture ourselves as as women and in all dimensions do we appreciate the sacredness of, of the woman that we are i mean it's a vast vast subject mm. and if you, if you even to begin to tap into that with the lifestyle factors then that is much more empowering because that is then saying, well, as I, as I previously said, if I have lived has led me to where I am, then I can then do something about it. I can then understand, okay, what are, where have I not been honoring myself as a woman? Where have I not been um, nurturing myself uh, deeply? And begin to, to address that. Now I have to be very clear here and say that medicine, as in conventional medicine, does not have as yet the evidence that supports that understanding. So what I'm saying here is going beyond what is currently accepted within conventional medicine. And it's coming from the aspect of esoteric medicine in terms of saying that perhaps there is more to understanding any illness or disease or condition that is um, intimately related with how we live our lives, our relationship with ourselves, um, and
0: our relationship with that that essence of who we are. It's a so, a far I, more empowering way to live our lives. Well, absolutely,
1: because as you say, you're no longer uh, you're no longer then a victim. So, it's also important, Lucy, to understand that esoteric medicine and conventional medicine actually work very well together they are not um, in any way competing and esoteric medicine is also not alternative medicine it's not instead of conventional medicine it is complementary to medicine so it very the two work very well together and if I can just explain that a little bit more so in conventional medicine, we're very good at doing surgery and operations and, and treating people with acute illnesses and conditions and uh, getting them back to a level of health and functioning and well-being. But esoteric medicine is very good at addressing those deeper aspects in terms of the emotional and, and spiritual dimensions that are not so well covered in conventional medicine. And they can actually then help the person to um, go that bit deeper to look at, okay, you've had, let's say, for example, I had my my gallbladder removed and I had gallstones. So esoteric medicine helped me to look at, okay, what were the underlying factors that actually led you to developing gallstones in the first place? Um, Whilst I needed the surgery to deal with the symptoms and that got rid of that. It then took the esoteric side to begin to actually heal the root cause of why I had the gallstones. So you can see that the two can work very well together um, and uh, go hand in hand and actually the, the marriage of esoteric medicine and conventional medicine has huge potential to expand and enhance our whole understanding and sphere of medicine
0: amazing thank you very much um that's just such a uh a great full juicy opportunity to to really uh to get our teeth into what you've shared there Eunice, and there's, there's a lot to to digest and unpack thank you so much thank you so much lucy for as they say giving me the opportunity to share been talking to Eunice Minford this morning a consultant general surgeon in the on the front line of the NHS and what she's brought to us is so beyond the conventional training as she's shared because she felt it only gave her half the picture when she was living her own life she was burnt out she was exhausted she saw the consequences on her colleagues on her patients and felt impulse to do something about it what esoteric medicine does for us is is offer us a more responsible body. And if you find out that the way you've lived has contributed to a condition, then it's really empowering to say, actually, I can choose to live in a way that actually contributes to my medicine in that case. It's so empowering. It offers us so much potential. That's why I personally love having esoteric medicine as part of my way of living and as part of everything I do. It asks us for honesty. Can we consider possibly that the lack of sleep contributes to a lowered immune system and therefore puts us at higher risk of illness? The statistics say yes, but what do you say? Does do you feel more vulnerable? Do you feel a bit more poorly when you've had night after night after night of bad sleep? Can you say that smoking is not good for you when your body, um, for you and your body, and that it actually causes harm? Of course, you can say that. You can say it because you know we've got the statistics to back it. But you know that if you smoke, you cough, particularly when you first start. You may learn to tolerate it, but your body is not designed to handle smoke. And do you consider stimulants that you put in your heart that changes its rhythm? Could we go to f- so far as to say that maybe that's something we need to look at? The science says that stimulants do increase the, our normal body's rhythms. But what could the long-term impact of increasing those rhythms on our body be on our body system if our body is not biologically calling for them, if it isn't something that is is a um, is a medically proven thing that needs to happen. It's worth considering, isn't it? We can choose the way we live. We can choose what we put in our bodies. We can choose what we affect, um, how we affect our bodies. And to choose not to do so, if you don't mind me saying... Is and to say, you know, that you, you you should have choice and it's not fair if someone tries to impose it on you, It's quite childish petulant behaviour. Um because you're you're choosing to do what you want in your life and then going to the doctor and putting it all on them to say, fix me and putting it all on our state, national or you know, our our financial healthcare budget to fix you as well. It just doesn't seem right. Now, it's not about perfection, but it is about taking responsibility and saying if I bring the most responsible body to you um, I'm please will you help me and we work together not just dump on our doctors and expect them to fix it well that's a big show isn't it what would the impact be if we needed to sit up and be very honest? Now, we say these words every every week. The quality in life lays foundations for the quality of life. So let's reignite that fire within. Consider the way we do things as laying foundations of quality, nurturing our movements, feed ourselves with care and love and see if it changes the quality of our lives. And I will leave you on that one to consider. Next week's show is a show on Father's Day, so it's a it's gonna be a farmer's special. We'll look at the pressures um, of our featured farmer Chris ifland, and we'll can, we'll hear about a rotary fund that they've set up and how it's going to be distributed We'll talk about the family consequences of a drought and how it affects a child's schooling and how infrastructure is something we should consider moving forward and we'll hear about that from a, a farmer in the infrastructure that he put in his on his farm that is actually helping other farmers. Um, to benefit at this time now as you can imagine that's not not all going to fit in 90 minutes so I am actually working on having a slightly longer show and we'll probably start at 8am but I will let you know online tune in live at 8am or listen via the stay in the loop with lucy podcast which is later in the day It is always pertinent to remind ourselves that whatever has or is happening in our lives, we are and always will be us, constantly learning, students of our own lives. But underneath that learning, in our essence, we are amazing. We could say in our innermost, we are amazing. The key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with our body. And that holds an essence that we can recognize when our body's trying to tell us something is not quite right. And then we can seek support from the the appropriate support service, and that might be mental or physical health. By listening and responding, we can build the tools to address what we do not yet feel equipped to manage. Because, of course, I suspect we do, in fact, have the skills inside us. We don't have the confidence to apply them. That support is always in the community. So next time, open up, learn to trust again, that way we don't wait for life to come to us. We take ourselves to life and we be the change we want to see. Till next week's show, be kind, be caring, be love, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. As ever, we are going out with Funky Fabulous from Rachel Kane and Benjamin Hurt. Whether we split, we bid the spill the beer by the beat of the wheels, but the beer by the beat of the wheels, but the beer by the beat of the wheels, but the beer.